You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Prosperity in Black America. What will this require? Is Black business prospering? Are we reaching women and minority-owned businesses? How do we achieve earning parity for wealth for our families? I'm that provocateur of change. I am Cindy Bright. Welcome to Heartbeat. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Heartbeat. I am your host. I'm your host, Cindy Bright. I hope you can hear me. I wasn't holding my mic here. Thank you for joining us tonight. You know, this evening we decided to do a show on education, uh, one of several shows we're going to do on the notion of education for uh, Black children. If you're watching and paying attention to what's going on on the East Coast in Florida, you'll see that the white conservative movement, the organization, there's one, we're going to talk about it here in just a couple minutes. There's an organization called Moms of Liberty. And Moms of Liberty are these, um, they are white women who are aggressively going after teaching education, educating our children and giving access to black children. This isn't just on the East Coast. This is happening here in Washington State as well. This is an organization that is well-funded. They are well-organized, and they are not going to slow down. And here's the deal. They are watching uh, us as Black people uh, rise, begin to prosper, begin to make traction on um, earning power, wealth, the things that prosperity for Black America heartbeat, right? This is why we talk about this. And so they're going to do everything in their power to try to take that away. Now, it's my understanding that this past week in the Washington legislature, several thousand of them signed up to testify and to try to help roll back this country's 70 years and take away teaching our kids actual American history. We were scheduled to have on with us a prominent um, person who is in the space, Lakeisha Phillips. She uh, is a parent. She is on a school board. She is uh, active in helping to address this. She is really ill tonight, and so she regretfully had to pull uh, off of the show. But fortunately, we have three uh, of our regular commentators here who are actually in the education space. So let me bring in my regular commentators with us here. I'm going to reintroduce them, not just by name, but I want to talk about their backgrounds in the education space as well. So let's welcome Erin Jones. Many of you know Erin. She ran for the Office of Public Superintendent here. I think it was 2016. Erin, correct me if I'm wrong on that year, but you ran uh, on this whole platform of education. Let's welcome in Stephanie Coverson. She is the CEO of Jamais Pay Consulting. She has also worked in the education sector and has some incredible insight into what's actually happening in the Seattle public school system. Let's also welcome in Karen Fleshman. She is out of San Francisco. Karen is an activist. She is... Um, also just ran for the school board uh, in San Francisco and uh, has a pretty strong hold on what's going on in the state of California around this topic. So let's welcome Karen in. I see you're in your car, Karen. 
Thank you guys all for joining me tonight. We regretfully don't have Lakeisha, but I thought this is an important conversation to keep uh, in front of the public. Erin, uh, I want to start with you because you have a, probably of the group of us here, you have the closest hold on what's going on in the education space. Can you talk about what you know about this Moms of Liberty group that is uh, here in Washington State trying to come in and take? Yeah. Um, Moms for Liberty, and it's Moms for Liberty, M4L is sometimes how they refer to them. I just want people to know that so you can go look them up later because uh, y'all need to be doing some research. They have their own chapter website for Washington State. So they may have started in Florida, no surprises there, um, but they are moving their way across the nation. Um, they are funded by some really, some big, big, big money. So if you've ever heard of the Heritage Foundation, the Heritage Foundation was doing a lot of this kind of anti-public school, anti-union work long before Moms for Liberty came along. But they are founding or they're funding. There's some really big, big, big Koch brothers names behind all of these organizations. And so um, right now, Moms for Liberty is targeting both the history of black people. So if you look at what's happening in Florida with some of the, you know, taking out the AP African-American history course, um, some of the targeting of what is called CRT. And I want to make sure we define that because one of the things I'm finding is 90% of the people that say they're anti-critical race theory have no idea what critical race theory is. So I want to make sure we define that tonight for people. Um, but they started this whole measure and they're calling it grassroots. Like we're grassroots, we live in these communities. Many of the moms don't actually have children in public schools. So um, it's smoke and mirrors, it's smoke and mirrors. It's very, very powerful people who have a lot of money who are coming for our public schools and they're coming in through kind of anti-critical race theory, but also a lot of the anti-trans, anti-LGBTQIA measures that are being seen are also being supported by Moms for Liberty. So they are, behind a lot of the school bans around books that talk about gender identity, sexual orientation. So those three things, gender identity, sexual orientation, and the full telling of history are the three things that are most targeted by Moms for Liberty. And they are coming for our school boards. So they are raising up people around the state of Washington. I know for sure Kent School District has seen them. I know for sure Highline. I got an email last week from North Thurston um, parents that were really concerned because we have three or four board seats that are up and they sent a message to 13 of us in community and said, Moms for Liberty is coming for the three open seats. Um, we need to raise up some people. So, you know, for folks who think this is not a, a West Coast thing, it's not a Western, Western Washington thing, they're coming for us. So we got to be ready. Mm. Karen, you... Um you just ran for the school board in San Francisco, and I believe this group, this quote-unquote grassroots, is active in the San Francisco Bay Area as well. Did you run into that in your run for office this past year? Well, here in San Francisco, we have a majority chapter, but we do have an organization called Parent Action Coalition um, that formed basically of parents. Oh, we just oh. lost Karen there. She's trying, she's trying to call in from her car there. Um, Stephanie, let's bring you in. Uh, you have actually worked in our public school system here. I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts about, have you heard or picked up on this grassroots movement of 
Moms of Liberty or for Liberty or whatever they're trying to call themselves? Yeah, uh, Moms for Liberty, I think, is um, the personification of what has been going on um, for a while under the radar period. And so now that um, they have, to Aaron's point, like these multi-millions of dollars worth of uh, backing from like the Heritage Foundation or uh, the Koch brothers. Um, And also I think it's important to point out that um, the one of the founders um, is actually the wife of uh, Florida GOP uh, vice chair. Yep, yep. Um, so again, back to sort of this DeSantis Republican right wing um, conspiracy theory, and uh, I would say uh, racialized attacks against. Uh, uh, black folks, uh, indigenous folks, when we're talking about uh, teaching real um, American history versus this, lack of a better word, whitewashed history that we have uh, adopted as, you know, regular curriculum. Like, for example, George Washington um, had I learned he had dentures made out of wood and he chopped down, I can't remember now if it was a cherry tree and an apple tree, but the real, the real deal about George Washington was he was a virulent racist and chased um, an enslaved woman um, that he uh, had formerly owned for like all of the days of her life. And uh, as well, uh, his dentures were not made out of wood. They were made out of enslaved people's uh, teeth that they pulled out of their heads. Um, and so these are the, the, this uh, fantasy and whimsical idea of United States history is just not true. I also want to call in... Um, our siblings from the LGBTQIA community, um, the attempts to erase them, their lived experience, um, uh, their basic human rights. Um, And all of these things I think are working in, um, uh, they are trying to work these things in concert uh, to fear monger. Um, And it is not just, I would say the public school system, it is also the higher education system in, in some aspects of this. And so when I worked at a higher education institute um, around the time that some of the legislation around gun control, you had uh, black and brown students terrified because the Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer were on campus with you know their long, uh, their long guns and their semi-automatic weaponry. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is very much an attack on um, on education, on communities of color, on our LGBTQIA siblings. Um, and we have not only got to get ready, we've got to stay ready because this is not a Southern Florida issue. I think, you know, it's, it's really important with both you and what Aaron was saying, um, you know, uh, 
welcome back, Karen. <laughs> um, this whole issue uh, is not in isolation. And in fact, um, we have got to uh, begin helping to equip our, the public, uh, BIPOC community, LGBTQIA, the aggressiveness of these type of organizations coming into the quote unquote progressive states to come try to tear um, and take away access for BIPOC children to have access to education. The fundamental, most important issue of how we progress black society is to help get the society educated. And so they know that and they want to take that from our students. And so, you know, I have a belief system that there are a myriad of ways to help get our kids educated, but it's under full attack. And Erin, can you talk more? You had mentioned you want to um, re-educate people on uh, what critical race theory is and what it is not. Do you want to talk to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll just add, I've been doing um, equity, racial equity work for the last 15 years in school spaces. And, and I'll be really honest, until 2020, after George Floyd, you know, whenever there is advocacy around issues supporting black people, there's always a backlash. And so you saw more white people across the world marching in favor of Black Lives Matter really that summer, that June. And then by the end of July, there was this very intentional backlash. And, and that's really when Christopher Rufo, so for those who don't know, Christopher Rufo is from Gig Harbor, Washington, like one of the whitest towns in, in Washington state, right across the water from Tacoma, Washington. He is the one that started this whole um, anti-critical race theory message. And here's what he said on on Twitter, he said two things. He said, critical race theory will become the perfect villain. This is what he said on Twitter, you can Google this. And then he said, we have successfully frozen their brand. So the brand of, of the left, we've successfully frozen their brand, critical race theory, into the public conversation and are steadily driving up negative perceptions. We will eventually turn it toxic as we put all of the various cultural insanities under that brand category. So here's what Christopher Rufo did. He said critical race theory is, is teaching about the American history in such a way that it makes white people the bad guys and black people the good guys. That's what he said it is. But here's what critical race theory actually is. And this is out of the mouth of Kimberly Crenshaw and Derek Bell, who are the founders of critical race theory. What is interesting is I think if you were to just watch the news in the last two years, you would think this was a theory that was developed in the 2000s, but it started in the 70s after the civil rights movement and um, really became solidified in, in writings in the, in the 80s. But here's what they say critical race theory is. It's an intellectual approach. It's not actually content. It's, an, it's a theory. <laughs> it's an intellectual approach to looking at US society with the belief that racism is at the core of laws and constitutions. And here's my translation as a, I'm a translator. I speak four languages. I love to translate things into really easy language. Critical race theory was a theory developed to make sense of why, even when governments wrote policy that was meant to kind of rescue and save and make life better for black people, it still didn't have that outcome. And I'll just give a really practical example because I think we all can relate to this. Brown versus the Board of Education is always lifted up as this really great civil rights policy that desegregated schools and it caused 
the largest exodus of black teachers from education. And we've never come back from that because what happened is once you integrated schools, white people did not want their children to have black teachers. So what happened? All these black teachers that have been in schools for generations now were out of jobs. What does that mean? It means that the people teaching those black children no longer believed in them, no longer understood their culture, no longer could tell stories that related to these students' experience. And so even though this policy was meant to give black children access to really great education and, and greater resources, what it actually did was create spaces where those children were often targeted by their peers, um, not believed in by their educators. And that's just one small example, but critical race theory is a way to look at all the policy that's been written, how we're talking about justice, how we're policing, how we're um, developing healthcare practices. Okay, when we develop what we say is good policy, when people have good intentions, why does it still not have the kinds of positive consequences that it's supposed to? That's what critical race theory is attempting to do is look at that policy and say, ask the question, why? Why is this policy not having the outcomes that we thought it was supposed to have? Karen, what's, uh, what is happening? Did you have to confront that in your run for the school board, the San Francisco school board? Yes. So, the, well, uh, we don't have a Moms for Liberty chapter here. Um, they were very inspired by and have a lot of the same funding as the people who led a recall effort against three people of color on the San Francisco Board of Education. And um, the, they targeted these three people because they were taking action towards racial equity. We have going back to the comments about George Washington. We In our George Washington High School, there is a mural that depicts George Washington with enslaved people and standing above the bodies of dead Native Americans. This was painted in the post-depression um, uh, era, and it's supposed to be a critique and a telling of the true history of George Washington in our George Washington High School. But the problem is it literally depicts dead Native Americans, and they're very scantily clad. And so the Native families wanted this mural covered up. And the school board took action to cover that mural. Then we have this uh, prestigious high school that has all the AP courses and all the sports and every activity under the sun that had traditionally, you get into it through uh, merit, through your test scores and grades. And the black student union in that school, which is intensely anti-black, said, we need to change this. We need to have fairness and we need to have a lottery system for admission to the school. And so the school board took action on that. Um, and as a result of their efforts to move San Francisco toward greater racial equity, um, these parents, newcomers to San Francisco, who had literally lived here for like two years and met on Tinder, decided as their couples project that they were going to recall the San Francisco School Board. And so the same funders as the folks behind Moms for Liberty 
um, got behind them, gave them all this money to hire paid signature gatherers to come in and, and gather signatures. And they were ultimately successful because parents here were mad at the school board. They were able to say, oh, look, they're paying attention to these issues, renaming schools when they should be, um, you know, focused on reopening the schools. And yeah. so, yes, there, there were three openings on the San Francisco school board. Our mayor appointed three people to fill those openings. Those three people ran for school board. And then there were three um, challengers. I was one of the three challengers. And yeah. one of those school board members wrote on her, one of her candidate questionnaires um, that she believes that black and brown families don't really love learning. And that's why they're teaching their kids not to love learning. And that's why their kids are so disruptive in the classroom, which is very unfair to teachers. On the other hand, there's these the great students who deserve all the kinds of opportunities um, so that they will be stimulated by school. Um, well, it doesn't it doesn't take rocket science. You know, let's let me just show this uh, headline real quick. There's an article that just appeared in The New Yorker. Uh, about the right-winged mothers. Let's show that really quick for our audience around. You know, these articles are coming out now because people are paying attention. There's several that uh, I was taking a look at today. Um, what's happening, these narratives that are being perpetuated um, is simply, uh, from my perspective, their own feeling of inferiority uh, because white America has not kept up if you will, uh, at the same rate of which Black America has invested in education. So when you look at the numbers of people who are in advanced education and who are getting into these, um, you know, MBA and PhDs and these advanced education, it is Black women that are prospering there. And so, and we're hell-bent on making sure our children get educated in this process. And they know that. So when you think about... Um, you guys are familiar with the Felicity Huffman uh, fiasco a few years ago, right? The underground, um, corrupt uh, white moms who were trying to illegally buy their way into education for their kids instead of having their children compete. So they're perpetuating a narrative that brown and black children don't have the aptitude to uh, have higher learning. And we have that in our state legislature as well. That's a whole nother conversation where we have elected officials who say the same garbage uh, and actually chair education committees in our legislature. Whole nother topic. However, um, what they're projecting onto our communities and the fight they're in is because they themselves and their children, they are used to writing checks or um, marrying their way into money and access instead of earning their way in. That's the fight against affirmative action. That's the fight against um, access to jobs and access to education. And so the more we rise, you can see it happening now post-George Floyd, the activism from Brown and Black America and Karen and her allies that are out in the streets fighting and trying to get into these seats as well, because we are prospering, the attacks are coming harder. Would you guys agree with that thought process? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, 
And I, one of the things that I think is important to talk about is the weaponization of uh, social justice and social equity language and how even these Moms for Liberty, you know, some of their talking points, um, they attempt to incorporate the quote unquote harm to black children uh, learning about school desegregation or uh, learning um, about uh, notable black figures in history, given the context of the United States, conversations around achievement despite segregation, despite racism, massage noir. And so they are attempting to say, see, you know, this curriculum will make your kids feel uncomfortable too. But what they are not, um, and, you know, we all know this, um, our kids are not feeling uncomfortable, but experiencing discomfort, violence, discrimination, massage noir, um, the adultification of our children. There are all types of real life ramifications um, of racism and discrimination in American society. And so you not wanting your children to read about the full context of history is not the same as our children being slapped in the head with uh, literally, figuratively and literally um, with these uh, racist um, attacks um, and assaults. Yes. Erin, were you about to say something also? No, I was sorry. I somehow lost, totally lost power over here. So what happened? <laughs> A weird night tonight. Um, no, I was just going to say what I find really interesting, and, and you'll hear Moms for Liberty say this, you'll hear like the numbers, the amount of legislation that has been written just this legislative session that is anti-critical race theory, anti-trans support. And the argument is always, we don't want our, our white children to feel bad. And yet our black children are stuck in AP classes where they're the one where they have to talk about George Washington. They have to talk about Jefferson. And um, I just had a, a pastor reach out to me today who is um, at Walt Disney World. And he was sharing with me, there's a room that they have at Disney World. I've never been there where they have all the presidents. And he was talking about how awful he knows Washington is now. And he knows Jefferson. And he said, but this guy, and he sent me a picture of Lincoln and I said, do you know about Lincoln? And and the reality is that black people have been feeling bad in classrooms the whole time. So this is not that. So all this argument that white parents have about we don't, to be honest, as a classroom teacher, I don't want any of my children to feel bad about themselves in the teaching of history. What I want them to know, though, is that we have the capacity to do evil. And this yeah. is our capacity as human beings. And if we're not willing to share the truth, then we are doomed to repeat the truth. And this is the thing that I'm really afraid of as someone who grew up in Europe after World War II, during the Cold War, this is like Russia tactics to me. I saw this during the Cold War. I saw this with Eastern Germany as a child, as I watched what was happening just across the border from me. And these are the tactics that were used by communists. I mean, the, the folks that, that these folks are saying they're fighting against, these are the exact tactics those people used back in the 80s. They're the same tactics that were used in the 1930s in Germany. 
Yep. We're going to go take a quick commercial break and we're going to pick back up right where you just left off, Aaron, because I want to talk about uh, the tactics that are being used. And uh, so we'll, let us take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. COVID-19 hurt my income, my health and my family. We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME and a housing counselor stepped in, talked to our lender and saved our home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHalf.org. That's WashingtonHAF.org. This winter, Seattle Opera presents the world premiere of A Thousand Splendid Sons. Based on the best-selling novel by Khalid Hosseini, this new opera tells the breathtaking story of two Afghan women brought together under the brutal Taliban rule. There has never been a more important time for this story to be on stage. Make this world premiere part of your plans today. Don't miss A Thousand Splendid Sons, February 25th through March 11th at McCall Hall. Details at seattleopera.org. What's up, everybody? You know, me and Besa, my girl, we had to pull up to Market Street Shoes once again, y'all. And you know, we do this every season. We have to get the new shoes, the new boots. And this time, I even got a coat. Yeah, no, you did walk in without a coat. I really I'm did. I'm glad you found one. But their boots were on point. Yes, the boots, the bags. I even grabbed a flannel. Yeah, you did. You know, and I was able to get some hats and everything. I was really impressed. And you know, I was impressed because, of course, I got those white boots that you guys see me wearing everywhere these days. Yeah, no, I, I look at your white boots and I'm like, darn it, they only have one pair. Me and Basin wear the same size. Of course, every time we walk out with several bags in hand. Several bags and sometimes even a backpack, you guys. Make sure you check out Market Street Shoes. Yeah, please check them out. where they go, Basa? Ooh, 2232 Northwest Market Street, Seattle, Washington. Welcome back to Heartbeat. I am your host, Cindy Bright. Uh, joining me this evening are my regular uh, commentators and co-hosts, Aaron Jones, uh, Stephanie Coverson, and is Karen Fleshman still with me here this evening? No. Okay. Um, we are talking about the movement here in Washington state from, uh, quote unquote, a grassroots organization called Moms for Liberty, uh, which is none other than a... Uh, uh, white woman-led, well-funded, well-organized group of women who are uh, doing what they do best, which is trying to tear Black communities apart, which is trying to take access for education away uh, for our children, uh, and who are perpetuating narratives about Black community and Black students that is absolutely false. Uh, before the break, we had Aaron uh, talking about some of the tactics uh, in the Cold, uh, Cold War and all of the things that go on. That's why we do this show is we are helping to spread the correct information, talk about what's really going on. Uh, Aaron, come back in and talk with me about, uh, we, I sort of cut you off, but you were talking about some of the same tactics. We can leave Stephanie in too, because I think there is a there is a parallel between what we're about to talk about with their tactics in denying education and how those continue to manifest in all the other facets of progress for Black people in society. Erin, pick back up where you were just leaving off with that. Yeah, so I, I grew up and my dad taught at the United Nations School. So I was around really powerful leaders in The Hague, the Netherlands, which if you don't know, the Hague is the home of the world court, which is where all of the Nazi 
folks that were accused of atrocities were all tried there. So I had the opportunity to be around really powerful lawyers and um, just some real stories. I don't have a Dutch friend who didn't have someone killed in Auschwitz. Like every one of my friends has someone in their family who was killed. So we got a lot of that, like the true history of um, the founding of the Nazi party. But then I also got to bear witness as an athlete, we got to travel all over Western Europe and you know, there was, the wall was still up. In fact, the wall came down two months after I came to the United States for college. But I also got to hear um, about the east side of the wall where books were banned and books were burned and anyone who authored books that people didn't like were sent to prisons and sometimes they were just disappeared. And we are seeing that kind of stuff happen yes. right now here in the United States. And so like, yep. beware of folks. Like, this is why teaching history is so critical. It's why in Germany right now, if you go to any German school, they are very clear about teaching the real history. Even the really ugly bits, they teach about that in school. They don't want that repeated. And I think it should, I think we should say that teaching the real American history is not about shaming white America. Teaching American history is about prohibiting history from repeating itself by educating our young people to understand what happened, what were the consequences of that, how it has continued to manifest in society today. And so the only way we can make the world better for the moms of liberty, too, is to change and educate all of our students so that they understand Look, you guys all saw the meme around uh, Ruby Bridges and, you know, the comments around it were if she, it was with her mom in the background and the police officers surrounding her going into school. And it said, if she's old enough to have to endure what she did to be able to get herself educated, then this discomfort that white America Moms for Liberty feels around their poor children being taught something truthful and don't want to make them feel bad when this is our lives and our children's lives. And they're accustomed to us just being the ones to feel bad. You know, this is can, all about. Can I, add one, can I add one thing to that too? I'm yeah. going to interject here because as a really good teacher, I am a really good teacher. I have won almost every award that you could win in teaching in Washington state. So I want to offer that I know what I'm talking about in teaching. Here's another lie that's being told that all the teaching that we want to do is to beat up white people. And I want to offer that part of the challenge of these conversations that we're having is that we have also, there is a narrative out there that all we want to do is talk about the atrocities white people did to black people. I want to offer it to you as a mom and a wife and a sister and a daughter. It is equally important that we teach about all that black folks and indigenous folks and trans folks and lesbian folks and gay folks have contributed to this country as well. It's not just, but that is a lie that's being told that all we want to do is just make white people feel bad. And I would offer that that again centers the white person. Yeah. I actually want our black children to understand that they are brilliant too and that they have been doing math and mathy things and engineering since the beginning of time. And so it's not just about the white story and how bad white people are. It is the stories of where, in spite of it all, we have still created amazing things. We've still designed monuments and we have still created electricity, all the things too. 
Yes, I appreciate you adding that color, if you will, uh, to the comment because it is true. And I believe, you know, Stephanie can uh, add some more into this. Um, that whole, I mean, that is why, granted, I, I wasn't trying to talk tonight about DEI, but it's relevant because all of the things that in the business world, too, that Black America has been fighting for and trying to help progress, the same narrative is that. Um, now there's no more investment in it. Now we don't want to talk about it anymore. George Floyd is, you know, uh, buried for two years or three years now. So now there's no attention to it. Um, this is real. And this whole notion that it is our responsibility as black citizens to comfort the white citizens. Um, we, we live in this, we are part of the society too. And like it or not, we're not inferior to white America. That's just a narrative that keeps getting pushed and perpetuated that us, our lives, our families don't matter. And so the reaction of Black Lives Matter, the reaction of the things that we stand for around policing and education. This is because white America continues to perpetuate stories and narratives in order to keep, I mean, she's your friend, Erin, but um, you know, the fragility of a demographic of people uh, who just don't want to deal in reality and you can't change that. And look, I looked at numbers today for a whole nother reason um, of the growing trends and demographics across the country. You can't as, as much as they're trying to genocide and take everything away from black America, still we rise, still we rise. And so here, look, we're headed into, we have several school board elections that are coming up here in Washington state this year. And that's, that's why I wanted to do the show tonight is because we got to pay attention. First off, we need candidates. We need people on these school boards. Uh, secondly, we need activism to help deal with these school boards and the decisions that they're making. Did you both hear the number that I quoted earlier um, around the 3,000 women who signed up to testify in Olympia this past week on the education uh, system. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and so, so let me point out, because I, I went to testify when the bill was first heard. I went to testify with Brooke Brown, who's our former teacher of the year, also a black woman. Um, one of my former students, we went to testify the first day that the bill was heard. And there were there was a Moms for Liberty person there with her son who was like the only angry person in the room. It was the weirdest thing. So we had four black and brown students who testified brilliantly. And then this white child who just was angry. <laughs> it was just like, did you not prepare for this? Um, were you just told to come in here and be angry? It was really odd. But what's really interesting, and it struck me that day while I was listening to testimony is these women, this is not grassroots. This is not about your no. average mom from Enumclaw or Eatonville showing up. These are wealthy people who can afford to take a day off work to drive down to Olympia and spend a day waiting for testimony. Like, just let me be real about this. It is not an easy thing to get to Olympia. It's not an easy thing to pay for parking. It's not an easy thing to wait in line to, to make sure that you know how to actually register to testify because now there's a whole new way to do that. Like these people have been prepped to do this and they have enough resources that they're able to get away from work, which not everybody does and not everybody knows how to access. But here's the other thing I'll say to you is the folks on the Senate Ed Committee that I know who are there, like Senator Wilson, Tawana Nobles, we got some folks there that can see right through, right through all these games. 
And we got what, to talk what was afterwards. The testimony and like, about, yeah, we already know who these people are. What was the testimony about, Erin? So the students actually wrote a bill. And that bill did not make it all the way through. It, it was adapted and adjusted. So the bill this week is a little bit different than the one I got to hear. But students actually wrote a bill that would require for school districts to look at their curriculum and make sure, make sure that all voices are represented. So basically what the bill was about was not about instructional practice, but it was about curriculum. So making sure that every school district is looking at their curriculum. Here's the thing I loved about this bill and the children wrote it. They said we should have student representation as school boards are choosing their curriculum. They should be required to have students represented on the committee that does the selection of curriculum. And I thought, ding, 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 like that's a no duh, yeah. Um, but these parents came in droves for that. And many of them that day showed up on Zoom. And but what was the, the senators? What was the ahead. child angry about when you said there was a child there that was angry? <laughs> what was she angry about? It was a he and a white male. He had attended a private school in Seattle. And his argument was that one of his teachers was woke. And all he wanted to do was talk about slavery every day. Every, I don't know a teacher that wants to talk about slavery every day. So I find that really hard to believe. Um, I actually, this is crazy, really bad, but I can read from far away and I could read his notes that he had in front of him from a, a row away. And I turned to Brooke Brown and said, oh, this child is about to go there. Um, but basically he said that his junior year history class, he learned nothing because all his teacher ever wanted to talk about was slavery. And none of the kids showed up to class. They just stopped coming to class. And I was like, that is a bunch of BS. I just don't believe, I don't believe that story. I absolutely don't believe that story. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a made up story. I think he came in with a piece of a story and, but he literally lost his stuff in the middle of his speech. So he wasn't even able to read through his whole speech. He just got so like frothy almost as he was explaining his experience in high school. And it was really pretty tragic to watch him. Um, just how angry this, he had just graduated from high school. I think he was 19. And and just that this one experience for him of being challenged in his identity made him that angry was really disconcerting. And I was more upset about that than anything. You know, you know what, can I just jump yeah, right in? Because me. what I find so absolutely fascinating and interesting um, is that this student, uh, this white male was allowed to froth out at the mouth. Um, because the first time, you know, you let one of those black or brown students do that and, you know, the house security would have been called on them <laughs> and they would have been forcibly uh, removed from the building, if not worse. And so this idea that um, these folks are alleging that um, uh, white folks, white males in particular, are uh, being treated so badly by having to learn about the communities and peoples <clears throat> that live around, with, work with, sort of all the things is absolutely just uh, a shenanigan, um, to put it mildly. The other thing that concerns me about these conversations around education is, you know what I'm concerned about? 
I am concerned that our children with these, you know, sci-fi fantasy uh, depictions of not only U.S. history, but world history, we are not going to have critical thinkers. And so that is what concerns me as children grow into adulthood, move into the world, move into the workplace and even academia, um, that they are not going to be critical thinkers, uh, but rather constantly dependent um, to be force fed uh, propaganda like a baby bird. And it and it reminds me of. Uh, uh, former president um, LBJ, problematic in and of himself, I know, um, but a broken clock is right twice a day, as they say. Um, he once said that you can, if you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, give he'll give um, you give him somebody to look down on, and he'll empty his pockets for you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this foolishness around, you know, falsehoods around critical race theory, as well as these educational um, bending and machinations um, around history curriculum is the continuation of this. And when you talk about the wealthy, well-to-do people who are behind this, um, they have a vested interest in keeping us fighting over scraps, mm-hmm. right? Because the minute we coalesce together um, against capitalism, racism, sexism, homophobia, sort of all of these isms um, that currently divide us, we're no longer fighting at scraps over scraps and we're able to kind of look at the bigger picture of what is really happening. And I, and I think that is an integral part of this conversation. Let me, you know, let it's me funny comment that you about, say about critical. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I want to, I want to comment about something before and I'll, and then I'll bring you uh, back, Erin. Um, I appreciate what you just said, Stephanie, and you're going to relate to what I'm about to say. Um, Aaron, when you were talking about the um, young man who uh, commented about everything's about slavery and um, so forth, let me let me make a couple of statements here. Um, I too teach. I'm actually a professor at Seattle Pacific University, and I teach in their business school. And the class that I teach in their business school is called Leading in uh, Culturally Diverse Contexts. And much of the curriculum that I teach, it's it's very business focused, but very on corporate. And we do a lot of reading and case studies, a lot of Harvard Business Review studies. And when we unpack a lot of these topics, what becomes apparent in all of these issues, and particularly from I'm a practitioner, so I am actually somebody who sat in corporate America for 30 years. I'm a former HR executive. I saw how these systems played out. I teach my students about the intersection of all of these issues, which is race. And so I say that because you can't progress any of these other women's issues, LGBTQ, race is at the center of all of it. And so 
while he may be interpreting everything as about slavery, the truth is until we tackle the issue of race in this country, until we tackle this whole notion of we have to deal with race relations because we can't go further by continuing to sidestep the realities of how race intersects all of these issues. And so coming back to what you were saying, Aaron, and then Stephanie, what you were commenting on, you know, none of this is ever going to get better until we just accept the fact that we're not just gonna sweep it under the rug because you don't wanna hear it. We have to critically think, it's what you were talking about, Stephanie, right? You have to critically think about how is this playing itself out? What are the implications of you know, A, B, C, and D? And then what do we do different to be able to move society forward? We can't continue to have this ignorant perspective that just not talking about it is going to make it all go away. It is not. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm an educator too, and I see and I listen to the thirst and the questions that I get asked and how people in the professional world are trying to navigate business and organizations that want to sweep it under the rug as well. Comments? So... I just want to offer, <laughs> this is so crazy, but I heard a pastor this summer, right before school started, it was a really prominent pastor, and I'm not going to name who I think it is because I don't want to get the name wrong, but um, Cindy, you would probably know this pastor. And basically he said, we don't want our children to think critically. There's an answer, and, and you know this, Cindy, because we are part of the same sister group of churches. There mm -hmm. is a way that white supremacy wants to elevate the patriarchy, wants to elevate white men. I mean, in essence, that's really what this comes down to. So even though this is women, Moms for Liberty, there's still a puppet master up here, right? Right. And so it's that's really right. elevating, how do we make sure that men stay, men of a certain type stay in power? Well, you make sure people can't think. It's why you didn't want black people to read when they were slaves, because you didn't want them to be exposed to literature. You didn't want them to be exposed to thinking and all that stuff. And yet we did anyway. But I offer this because I know in my predominantly white evangelical church, I saw a lot of homeschooling as a way to just keep kids here. So we're going to teach you how to manage a home. Girls, we're going to teach you how to find a good husband. But we're not going to teach you to think critically because we don't really want you to question anything. We want you to listen to dad and we want you to listen to pastor as if they are God. And and, I, and as, I, as we're having this conversation today, it just struck me, I, my goal as a teacher is to teach critical thinking, but that is not the goal of these people. The goal of these people is not to have critical thinkers because critical thinkers are actually dangerous. The goal for these people is to have folks just believe and what a lot of white, in particular, not, not white Presbyterians, not white Lutherans, but white evangelicals have trained their people to just listen to the voice of the pastor, to listen to the voice of the prophet. And so this, this push to critical thinking and exposing students to lots of things and being able to interpret, that's actually really dangerous to a group of people that has been set up to not critically think. Mm. Absolutely. And to your point around homeschooling, I remember a couple of weeks ago reading an article about neo-Nazi families <laughs> pulling their children out of public school so yep. that they could teach them the neo-Nazi way of life. Yep. And 
this conversation is so critical and important um, to start pulling these threads and understanding that this is the beginning, like in terms of uh, where we saw uh, back to the, the AP curriculum that Ron DeSantis um, and apparently now Greg Abbott is on board in Texas, you know, rending his garments and gnashing his teeth. That's just the beginning, right? And then you see all of the legislation around all of our LGBTQ siblings um, and revoking their human rights. And then I think a couple of days ago, we have Walgreens who has decided mm -hmm. in anticipation of Republican bully uh, attorneys generals that they are not going to be um, uh, dispensing um, uh, abortion or uh, morning after, day after medication, even in states where it is legal. But yeah, I saw said, that. Yes, yeah. we want this. So this is the beginning. Um, this stuff that we're talking about now, this is not the end game. And so right. while it may feel safe, oh, that's just the black folks. That's just the LGBTQ uh, folks. That's not me. That's my family. You're up next. Because again, yep. this is a part of a broader insidious picture. Yep. I, that is so right on. Stephanie, I appreciate you bringing that up. That's in the state of California and the governor has stepped in and said, we're not going to do business with you anymore. And, it, I, you know, I do wonder when you look at the, you know, I hate using the term left and right because it's really not that anymore. It's literally about like good and evil, right? It's about, you know, right and wrong. So the cities that have governors that are, um, Democratic governors who are trying to help address some of these issues. I appreciate the comment you made about this isn't the end. This is the beginning of what we're about. You know, I, I didn't see it and I don't have any confidence he'll move anywhere, but I think the 45 is back in the picture too. And I think I saw that his numbers or the people that showed up were pretty dismal. So I don't expect, but, but he's going to continue to perpetuate false um, narratives and spread misinformation and more um, just more nastiness towards communities that are not right-wing conservative evangelical uh, people. And it's, and it's not just him. Like he has mm -hmm. a megaphone and I don't know yes. if folks have been following the the following the Fox News uh, defamation um, case mm -hmm. um, where People from Fox News knew that this man was a wackadoo, but they were afraid of offending their watchers, their viewers. So again, this departure from reality, uh, this departure from critical thinking, and also this construct of, of white supremacy and whiteness, where you decide to run down from you know, your little, your little rally in Washington, D.C. and tear up, you know, the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. And we still have no response to this. Mm -hmm. And so this is a part of a broader picture than what Donald Trump is is 
talking about and just Mm -hmm. the buffoon that he is. My fear is, though, that there will be a smart person um, that also holds a savvy person that holds these views um, that Donald Trump holds. Mm -hmm. And we are going to be in a world of hurt. And so, again, back to getting woke and staying woke. It's are you coming. talking are you talking about any more Herschel Walkers coming forward like we should pay attention to? Um, you know, I you know, know what? No. <laughs> to, that point, though, to that point to that point though, Moms for Liberty intentionally leverages the voices of black people. So mm. they are, are leveraging to the hilt. They're trying to find that one black conservative person, that one Latino. So there is a Latina woman who just declared that she's running for office. Or maybe she's she's brown woman who's running as a Republican. Um, so they are raising up some folks. Um, so beware, not all kin, mm-hmm. skin folk are kin folk. Um, but Moms for Liberty intentionally seeks out the super far right, and there are those black people, and they do exist right here in Washington State. I know some of them. Um, and my message to white folks is always watch who is following those people. Mm-hmm. If most of the people that are following those people like whatever i see c word i'm not even gonna say her name um if she posts a video and my white christian friends send that video to me i always say to them look and see who's liking that video if it's all white people then she doesn't speak for us who's following and reposting i think it's fair and i know we're at the hour here uh so i'm gonna wrap it here in just a second but um i think you know to your point erin about you know we as a community have to pay attention to Um, what's happening around us. We have to pay attention to what's happening in our legislature. We have to pay attention to the patterns of uh, black teachers that are not coming back into the public school systems. We need to pay attention to options and alternatives for our children and ways to get our kids educated because, you know, we still, you know, even as Democrats, we still have a problem with some of the elected officials that quote unquote represent our children in elected seats. And so, you know, we're at a time right now, again, it's the beginning. It's not, it's the beginning of another massive attack coming as we're heading into presidential election and uh, school board seats that are coming forward. We can't afford to take our feet off the throttle when it comes to making sure that we get the right people elected into office who will protect and who will advocate for policies and systems that will help progress brown and black children. We also, this is just a Cindy Bright appeal, but, you know, I feel that we need new representation in the legislature uh, for in some of those seats to help us uh, carry the voices of black children forward. I don't feel we have adequate representation there personally. And so this is our work, community. This is our work. Look, thank you for uh, Stephanie and Aaron for coming on tonight. It was fastest hour of the day to talk about these issues that we have to look over our shoulders uh, to our audience who joined us tonight and those who will be listening to this uh, podcast and show over the next uh, several days. Please take note of what we're talking about because we're not just talking about it because we enjoy it. We're talking about it because we feel there is a a viable threat to our community when it comes to trying to take education away from our kids. So thank you all for joining us tonight. I look forward to seeing you all next Wednesday. Have a good evening. Converge Media.
Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.